Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition, episode 102 of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. Thank you for joining us today on the audio side, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And of course, if you're watching the show on YouTube, if you aren't, please subscribe to the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast YouTube page to watch new episodes and clips, yada, yada, yada. We've got a great topic today. We are talking about Ted Williams, baseball's first hitting coach, one of the biggest reasons as to why we are here and we do this podcast every single week because my co-host's family has a very special connection to Mr. Ted Williams, the late great Ted Williams. We've got a couple of things to get to household items as well. Let me bring in professional evaluator, successful business owner, former coach, friend and co-host, fresh off his Greece vacation. He's all tan, ready to go, wearing a Brewer's shirt. They're struggling a bit right now. Jake Epstein. Good to be here, Jim. So nice to see your face again after, you know, last couple of weeks being away. Sure about that? Because I sense a little sarcasm and some lying. And, and quite frankly, I sense some tension because, and here's why, um, my hockey team here in Tampa, Florida, once again, for the 18th year in a row, is going back to the <laughs> Cup Finals. Your hockey team there in Colorado also going to the Stanley Cup Finals. I'm thinking there may be, now the um, Stanley Cup Finals begin this week. Game one is Wednesday. I just checked prior to recording this show. And game two is Saturday. I mean, is there a friendly wager that maybe? Yeah, we need to do something, there? right? We're like we're like the mayors of our own town. Don't yeah. we have to have a, a wager? I'm yeah, just we'll saying figure that, that out. maybe we'll we should figure, figure out, out some sort of wager. If the listeners want to chime in, Jimbo Podcast 21, gmail.com. Any ideas yeah. of a wager? But yeah. I'm looking forward to another championship parade here in champa florida by the way um so khalil lee um hit a home run yesterday for the new york mets he came into the season i don't know if you know much about him but he came into the season as one of their top prospects began the year in triple a i got a chance to actually see him do a little evaluating if you will um when he came down to class a in late may he was struggling so bad maybe there are other issues i'm not sure but i know for one he was sent down to Class A, St. Lucie, because he was struggling at the plate. And what I saw was a guy who looked tied up at the plate. He looked like he was thinking too much. And so he hit a home run on Saturday, June 11th, in Anaheim, big ballpark in Los Angeles. And it was a shot to left center field, and he knew it. It was one of those where he kind of flipped the bat, and he knew that it was going out of the ballpark. But what I saw in that swing and in that plate appearance was a guy who was very, very loose, and he was trusting himself as a hitter and relying naturally on his talent. And I think it goes back to the guy that we've talked about, your friend before on this program, Mets hitting coach Eric Chavez, and what he has done for the Mets hitters and seemingly trying to get them to be the type of hitters that naturally they are, which, by the way, Ted Williams, our topic today, has a quote about that. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But Eric Chavez, his fingerprints on this Mets offense this year, all over it. Yeah, it's pretty great what, what they've done. And, and he does. He lets guys play. He's there to support, not change. Mm -hmm. um, or support, not uh, force, feed information, you know, uh, whether it's analytical or mechanical or whatever it needs to be. Because if you as a hitter are, are not what got you there, you know, what you're best at, then you're never going to reach your your full potential as a player. So you're trying to please other people. You can't play this game, baseball, softball, whatever, trying to please a coach or trying to please somebody else's ideals on what, what you need to do. 
you are you, you know what you do best. You can take that information um, and, and use it, but you can't try to be somebody you're not. And I think that happens at the college level a lot with players because they're younger, you know, you roll in at, at age 18 and you have authority figures, which is, which is great. And you want to do anything you can to play, but those coaches also, um, not all of them, but the really good ones, they want to know what makes you tick. They want to know what, what, you know, you need to be successful. What do you want to do? Is it more time in the weight room? Can we give you a better nutrition plan? Do you want to work on your hitting more? Do we need to allocate more time uh, on defense? You know, what is it that you need? And the good coaches that actually ask those players and ask those questions are the ones that get the most out of their teams. I'm so glad you brought that up too, because I, I literally wrote something as a note on my on my prep sheet here about make players and what makes them tick. Because Cassie and I talked about that last week um, on our program on on the lab. She filled in, of course, mm-hmm. for you. And one of the things I asked her about her coaching and her teachings, and she talked about what makes a player tick. Is it more analytics or more metrics, or is it letting them rely? on their natural ability. And I think what Eric Chavez has done so well is he's gotten to know his hitters and what exactly you said makes them tick. Yeah. And, and he's a guy with a ton of experience, right? I mean, he's Mm -hmm. got a lot of, he's seen a lot of pitches at the big league level. You know, he's faced all of those guys. So he's coming at a, at a, at a level with them that, you know, they can trust, you know, and it's the the mental part of the game and having an approach and, and, and feels, and, and, and sometimes play, people that are, uh, you know, non-baseball player, I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm a baseball person, but I never played at the major league level, so I can't provide that kind of information. Um, and I think the, the baseball staff that have a combination of people that, you know, utilize some technology, maybe they're great teachers, maybe they're good at video, but then they also have that person that that stood in the batter's box and faced those pitchers and knows what that daily routine is like. I think that's very beneficial for, for uh, major league players to have that kind of support staff. You mentioned in there uh, a couple of minutes ago about college players and getting on campus, et cetera, et cetera. I want to bring up a point question to you, pose it about college players as the draft approaches. It's a little bit later. Of course, it's now in July, the major league baseball amateur draft. The combine is this week. Uh, the week of June 12th to, you know, whatever next Sunday when Champa Bay will have a 2-0 lead against the Avalanche in the Stanley Cup Finals. But nevertheless, uh, the season is coming down to an end. The college season, College World Series is coming up. Players are about to get drafted. What advice would you have for those players who are about to get drafted and some of that reality is starting to set in? Yeah, you know, stick to what you're good at. You know, mm-hmm. they they you know, don't do anything crazy. The combine's different, right? That's just a numbers game. How fast do you, how high do you jump? How strong are you? How hard do you Entertainment value too. Yeah, like it's, you know, it's what it is. It, it, are you a gamer? Like we're not going to see that in a combine. Right. Um, you we know, never do, so, by the way, across all sports. We never do. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, you never do. So, um, you know, it's just, really they put in their time. There's no reason to put extra pressure on yourself now with, you know, uh, three weeks left before the draft or so, or a month before the draft. So um, continue what you're doing. Those that are still playing college players that are, that are going, you know, punch their tickets to the college world series. You're the ones that really benefit the most from uh, still playing, you know, before the draft, because usually the draft is over by now. Um, You know, it happens in the super regionals. It used to happen during the world series, but it was the first week of June. Um, And, 
And the fact that that's not going on, it's, you know, there's this, everybody's kind of sitting on it where players aren't playing except for high school players. You do have some college players now that are able to, you know, go kind of go to summer ball, even though they know they're going to get drafted. So Mm -hmm. uh, those guys are out there, but the, you just have to make sure you're not, you're not pressing. It's very difficult to do know that you're going to get drafted, that they've, they've looked at you for the last, you know, year, year and a half. They have notes on you. Just go out and, and be relaxed and do what you do best. Get a couple hits. But if you try to force it and then you get all flustered, uh, that's that's when uh, maybe some value kind of goes down. Your stock value goes down. I can't wait till the draft is over. Then you, you and I can can talk about some of the players and we can do maybe a mechanical breakdown on mm-hmm. the number one position player that is taken. There's a couple of players yeah. I really like um offensively and and just overall uh, but we can't really be talking about it we will though promise um don't forget to subscribe to the show apple google spotify again the lab epstein hitting podcast youtube page follow us on social media as well i'm at jim tara um my timeline will probably be flooded um on twitter in the next couple of weeks with um champa bay propaganda and then of course we go right into the buccaneers and the nfl season and the goat who plays 10 minutes from where i live and the avalanche will be the avalanche and the Broncos will be the Broncos. So follow Epstein um, hitting at Epstein hitting, of course, on Instagram and Twitter. Wow. I mean, you are like, you had good rest last night. That's all I got to say. Excited for the Stanley Cup finals. I mean, listen, we do have Russell Wilson, so we're going to hopefully have more than uh, six wins this year. Okay. Right. That worked out for me well last year on fan- on my fantasy team. He got hurt, and then, you know, I couldn't catch a break. So, cool. Um, let's get into our uh, main topic today, Ted Williams, the title of this episode, baseball's first ever hitting coach before there was you and your dad and um, this guy on Twitter and that guy on Twitter and Jacob Jerkoff on Twitter. There was Ted Williams, guy who wrote a book about hitting. He was able to break down hitting in a scientific way. Literally, he wrote a book that says it is called titled The Science of Hitting, but he was able to do it in a way that was very simple. Um, a couple of things here um, with Ted Williams. Uh, I have a quote here from Paul O'Neill about Ted Williams and their conversation. Um, a quote from Ted Williams. We'll get to that in just a second. But I want to ask you, because your father had a very unique relationship with Ted Williams. They were very, very close. Um, when it came to talking about hitting in baseball, what were some of the most crucial conversations that your dad had with Ted? And then of course you had the chance to talk with Ted as well. What did you guys speak about? Oh, we just made fun of my dad, you know, that's all. Ted Ted was a really funny, brash (laughs) human being. And the last time I saw him, I was, uh, I don't know, junior or senior in high school. And they, they renamed the uh, road in San Diego called Titan. So that was the last time I saw him uh mid mid to late 90s so uh yeah i mean i didn't have hitting conversations you know that would have been through through my dad but you know the the ones that stick out are um you know when when they would talk about what starts the swing i, I remember that being a big de- big debate you know because williams had a hand hitch so you know he's like oh it's got to be you know my hands start my swing and then my dad was like ah, i think it's when your front foot lands your front heel plants that starts the swing because your hands can still be back and then your hips start to open. And then they debated that. And then he would try to watch my dad in slow motion. And then they're like, okay, the front foot does start the front hip. And it just kind of stemmed from there. You know, I mean, that was, um, 
gosh, when was that? Maybe the early eighties. They were, they were talking about all those things. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Ted just stuck with his three things. Like, you know, your hips lead your hands. Um, you got to stay inside the ball and you got to be on plane with the pitch. Um, and, and those were the main things that he felt and he saw probably in 1945, you know, 1950, like he knew that he could feel that. And, um, those were his three absolutes. There are so many absolutes now when people talk about, you know, of, of hitting, you know, there, I have right. 14 absolutes of hitting and, yeah. um, you know, it's almost, it's, it's almost it's one more than the, the word. Other. It is littered down the word absolute when it comes to hitting. Yeah. Right. Right. There, there shouldn't be more than, more than a couple absolutes. Right? right. So, so those were his three things. And that was, you know, what my dad always taught, you know, when he, he came up with the torque drill where you started with your hands back and you had your hips starting open and then you just kind of, you know, unwound your body Mm-hmm. You know, I used to use the rubber band example. You take one rubber band, you to the top of the rubber band, you twist it one way, you turn the bottom the other way, and then you let go and the energy is released. So um, the hips lead the hands. That was, that was his drill. And then we used to do the fence drill where we got like not a bat's width away from the fence, but we were probably about 20 to 22 inches away from the fence. And we had to slide our hands inside and not hit the fence with the bat, right? So we had to stay inside the ball. That was his his second, you know, main drill. And then as far as staying on plane uh, with the pitch, it was, you know, just don't, don't swing down, you know, don't swing down through contact, make sure we're, we're coming up a few degrees. And so that's kind of where it stemmed, you know, my dad's stuff stemmed from those three absolutes that, that William started with. And those were the main drills that my dad had um, that he kind of brought to life in, in the late nineties with a, with a VHS, you know, VHS tape because the only thing, other thing out was uh, you, you know you had uh, Charlie Lau you know had a book The Art of Hitting 300 or something 300 yeah. um, that I don't know when that came out probably in the mid 80s or late 80s you know with George Brett and if you were to really open that book now you it, it is in, insane like the pictures in that book like nobody gets in those positions mm-hmm. um, but, you know, that was, you know, there's some things, you know, about linear hitting. So that was totally different. That came out after William's stuff. And, and, and people, uh, Charlie was a really uh, sharp guy. And, and he, uh, you know, he was a great teacher. Uh, and so people listened to him. And, and then William's stuff kind of went to the background for a while in the 80s when everybody was hitting off their front foot. and uh, One hand helicopter finish and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden in the 90s, uh, the mid nineties, when the power game came back, all of a sudden Ted Williams kind of came back to light and that's when my dad was doing work with him. And then it kind of exploded from there. Let me ask you this. So, uh, well, two things, first off, who won the debate between, um, what starts the swing and what was their answer? It came down to the front foot. So it ended up being the front foot. And I don't know if I, I told that story, but they were, they were going through it and Ted was like, Mike, I want you to hit this tree. I'm going to have you hit this tree you don't hit it hard let me go get it back and, and i'm gonna watch your feet and see what, kind of what happens so williams went and got a bat like you know at his house somewhere and he brings it out he gives it to my dad and my dad you know, grabs the bat you know looks at the tree and kind of gets set up and then he you know he's looking at the bat you know with his, he gets his grip looks at the bat and it's like the bat from the 1950 all-star game or something. <laughs> and everybody and their mother has signed it you know with the yeah. maze was on there man was on there anyway but that story is that was what it was we got figure out what starts the swing with that with that bat and so you know my dad said i'm not going to hit the tree with this bat yeah, this bat's worth who knows what it's worth and ted says well i don't care what it's worth i don't it's not worth anything to me it's just a bat my dad said well i don't care either but 
uh, anyway, they ended up getting another bat. My dad hit the tree a few times and um, Ted said, I think it is. I think when that front foot lands, that's when your front hip started to open and then that pulls everything through. Now, my second question, uh, it's more of a, an observation on my end turning into a question. Players uh, do swing with the helicopter finish, the one-handed finish, whatever you want to call it. I, yeah. I'm wondering if Charlie Lau's teachings, Ted Williams' teachings, and subsequently your dad's teachings, your teachings, if there are some elements that have combined between your teachings, Charlie Lau's teachings, maybe blended together. And again, the absolutes for, for both are fairly different. They're on different sides. But I wonder if there are some elements that have blended together. Um, with certain players, and then gun goes back to what we talked about earlier, getting to know certain players and what they're comfortable with. Is that at all true? Am I accurate? Yeah, no, they, t- they totally overlap. Um, you know, I mean, the whole uh, linear hitting was about staying on plane. So linear right. hitting wasn't about swinging down. It was about keeping your barrel in the zone as long as you can. Well, the only way to do that is to transfer your weight all the way to your front foot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you don't rotate nearly as fast in, at all right? Because you're drifting the whole way, but it was to keep your barrel moving on that, you know, that path. So those overlap, but I actually got a call from uh, Charlie Lau Jr. Um, who was recently, or not recently passed, but he, he passed away years ago. Um, and, and we were talking, you know, hitting, you know, about, you know, what we taught and what he taught. We were telling, we were saying the same thing. Right. Like for him, he was like, yeah, I want players to stride. You know, so they have a weight shift. I said, I want my players to stride so they have a weight shift. And he said, and then they have to block that front side and stop, you know, their weight shift and rotate. And I was like, well, that's not what is in your dad's book at all. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, well, that's what we teach. And Mm -hmm. so I said, okay. So the only thing we were hung up on, um, he he said, you have to have a one-handed finish. You have to have a one-handed finish. Otherwise, your top hand will roll over. Yeah, that's what they were stuck on. And I said, well, I don't care if my guys have a one-hand finish or a two-hand finish because they're going to hit through the ball with both hands until they get to their power B. And then if they want to release, I said, nobody releases their hand at contact. Right. Um, but if you look at that old book, that, that's what they're, they're saying. So, yes, I mean, hitting became hitting. And you know, after that conversation, it was really funny because I'm like, hitting's hitting. You know, there, there, there are certain things everybody we want to have a weight shift and then we want to stop the weight shift and we want to rotate. Um, we want to make sure we're on plane. Um, some people talk about having extension and some people don't want extension. You know, they want to keep the power L or whatever the heck they call it and, and keep rotating around. And that's, you know, whatever they want to teach. But um, there's, there's not going to be any groundbreaking new moves in the world of hitting ever because it's been done for so long. Like, we, you know, you can have different stances, you can have different moves, but, you know, when, when people try to come up with new stuff, it's just, you don't need that stuff. Uh, the best thing was, you know, even if you looked at, you know, we talked about Charlie Lyle, we talked about Jordan Brett, who's, you know, obviously one of the best hitters that ever played yeah. and a Hall of Famer. And if you look at the pictures in, in the book of George Brett, you're like, oh my God, those are the ugliest positions I've ever seen, you know? And then you look at his swing in real life and you're like, that's one of the prettiest swings I've ever seen. But maybe if George Brett didn't think about what Walt Hriniak was telling him about getting on his front foot and, you know, whatever, you know, it's a one hand and loading up and all that stuff, maybe he wouldn't have done that. So it's the whole, what works for you as a player? 
that's the key to, to baseball, being knowledgeable and, and understanding, okay, why do I do this? And why do I do that? And what is this result? I don't, I don't really care what you're doing. Here's your result. Like you're hitting the ball too high. You're hitting the ball too low. You're hitting it too much to the opposite field. You're, you know, whatever it is, but that's the end result. So what, do, what can we do to, to make that better? You know, to expand your, uh, your width of, of hitting, you know, so you're not unidimensional. And I, I think that's what makes good coaches is, you know, not overcomplicating the system, but finding the right result that works. Well, your conversation with Charlie Lau Jr. and you guys talking about hitting and, and your ideas overlapping, there's a prime example right there of two baseball guys who've spent their entire lives around this game, make a living from this game, who have different ideas about things, but they're able to communicate in a non-toxic way, unlike what we see in today's baseball yeah. world on social media and, and coaches. And this is what makes, I think, the game really fun for people who work in it when it comes to scouts and baseball operations people. You can have a diverse set of ideas Um and you could talk about those ideas without being toxic. And that's exactly what you and Charlie were able to do when you came from to what were, was at the time from your father's Absolutely. completely different hitting backgrounds. Right. Uh, totally opposite, opposite end of the side. Like, you know, liberals and conservatives, you know, in terms of right. hitting, yeah. like we were able to have that conversation and, and uh, be totally civil at the end of the conversation, you know, uh, say, you know what, I, I see what you're talking about. And he would say, I see what you're talking about. And okay. Uh, but Charlie was like, his son was no joke. Like Charlie Jr. worked with uh, like A-Rod, you know, when A-Rod was, was coming out. So like, it's just a very knowledgeable guy. It wasn't just a guy that dad wrote a book and was a, right. a major league hitting coach for a while. You know, I mean, he, he had a business and, and he had a, a good name and he was a good teacher and, um, probably used a few more profanities than, than I usually use, uh, you know, so he was a harsh, he was kind of a harsher guy, yeah. but uh, yeah. And I wish it would, I wish the game would be a little bit more like that, but you know what, when you hide behind a computer and you're on social media, it's just a toxic environment when it comes to um, hitting right now, yeah. you know, unfortunately it, it's uh, it's turned into that. So yeah, put out become, your information yeah. and see what works. It may become more toxic after the lightning beat the avalanche. Hey, uh, don't forget to email the show, Jimbo Podcast 21 <laughs> at gmail.com. Forget the main topic. That's the common thread of today's show. Yeah, the avalanche it is. I think the so. lightning. Yep. <laughs> um, let's move on to uh, a couple of uh, things here, items I found uh, in researching, preparing for today's show, episode 102, talking about Ted Williams, baseball's first hitting coach. Um, Ted Williams in 1999, this was an article I read in the New York Times, had a conversation with Paul O'Neill. This was again back in 1999. Uh, and Paul was really struggling at the time. I don't remember the time frame, but he was four for 34 over that period. And one of the things that stuck out in his conversation that, with Ted Williams, Ted told Paul, Know yourself as a hitter and don't let anybody change you. Um, in your experience, your dad's experience, were these the types of things, almost like verbal sound bites that Ted Williams would give hitters that would help them improve without having to break down a million things that would get more into their head? Yeah, well, he was a very big mental guy. So, mm -hmm. you know, 
you know, we're 50%, you know, he, he didn't say uh, 90, half the game is 90% mental or whatever Yogi said, right? Right, but, right. You know, Williams was, a, hey, at least 50% is from the neck up. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I guess the, the one story that sticks out that, that my dad, you know, tells or, or, is, you know, shared with me, you know, multiple times is, uh, he was, I don't know what year it was, 60, probably 69. And he, he was struggling against left-handers, you know, it was the first month of the season and Ted said, Hey Mike, I'm, I'm going to have to sit you down when, you know, they're starting lefties. And my dad's like, ah, oh, no, I'm fine. I'll figure it out. Yeah. And Ted said, well, well, you better figure, you better figure it out fast or you're right. gone, you know, or you're not going to play those games. So, and then he asked my dad, well, what do you look for off? Uh, we're facing blah, blah, blah tonight. You know, I don't remember the name. What do you look for? How does he get you out? And my dad says, uh, he, he jams me. Like he gets in on me and he jams me really bad. So Ted said, okay, well, how does he get ahead of you? And my dad said, well, he, he looked, he throws me off speed pitches. He throws me uh, curveballs or sliders, whatever they were middle away. So Ted said, okay. So Ted said, well, Mike, what do you look for? He says, my dad says, well, I look for the ball middle in so I don't get jammed. And Ted says, well, that's, uh, that's wrong. You know, I'm sure he didn't say it like that. He probably dropped a few F-bombs and called him an idiot. <laughs> yeah. I think he did say something like, you you know, Mike, for a guy that went to Cal, you're a pretty dumb, pretty dumb guy. <laughs> something pretty like Pretty dumb that. son of a bitch. <laughs> pretty dumb, yeah. So my dad said, okay. So Ted said, well, why don't you look for breaking balls away early in the count? My dad said, oh, okay. And Ted said, no, look for breaking balls away. Okay, yes, sir. So the, the first time up, my dad goes up there. He looks for a breaking ball away. The first pitch, slider, it's outside. It's the ball. He takes it. He turns around and kind of looks at Ted in the dugout, and Ted says, you know, okay, keep, keep looking for it. So the next pitch is a uh, breaking ball away. My dad hits it in the left center gap for a double. He stands on second base, and Williams looks at him and goes, you know, like hitting isn't that difficult. So the <laughs> next, next time up uh, – my, you know, my dad gets it, or is going up to the plate, and Ted says, "All right, what are you gonna, what are you gonna look for now?" Ted said, "I'm gonna look for that breaking ball away." And Ted says, "You stupid son of a beep, you know? Yeah. Now you look for that fastball in." And he says, "Okay." So my my dad goes to the on deck circle, and then he gets up to the plate, and he looks over at Ted, and Ted gives him like just stick to the plan. And the first pitch was a fastball in. My dad hit it out of the park, and. He ended up, I think he hit like 15, like half of his home runs that year were off lefties wow. just because he started to use the mental side and start to think. So, um, you know, it was conversations like that. The entire team raised their batting average like 30 points in the team, I think, that year. Mm -hmm. And my dad said it wasn't about mechanics at all. Mm -hmm. It was about having a plan, having an approach, knowing what kind of hitter you are and how that pitcher is going to attack you and how, how they're going to throw to you. Well, on a related note, another quote from ted williams he said the key to hitting is just plain working at it work that's the real secret now it, it that sounds all well and good but to me and if you ever go on youtube and you watch the conversation that ted had with the late great tony gwynn and they basically were talking pretty much about approach and the mental side of hitting so to me i come away with ted williams was very um mental oriented if you will. I don't know if I said that correctly, but he was very um, more in tune with the mental side of hitting and wanting to get his players to understand how to get the mental advantage over the pitcher. 
if you don't, you lose. It's just mm-hmm. that simple. Like you can't have a swing good enough to hit every pitch that a pitcher has fast, slow, up, down, breaking or straight. Like you just can't cover all of those scenarios with a good swing. Mm-hmm. So you have to break that down into fast or slow, in or out, up or down. And then you have to tunnel in those areas and then stick to your plan and then use your good swing. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a bad swing, you got no chance. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're, cause you can look for it, get it. And then if you got a, a loop or a, you're too steep or whatever, you know, yeah, whatever you the your baseline, is, you have the baseline fundamentals. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Then your, your, your contact window is only that big. So you, you know, that's the key is you, you start with, you know, at a young age, you want to build in good mechanics and good swings. Some kids just have it. That's just right. a, a fact of the matter. I've worked with a lot of players and some have really good mechanics when they're 10 years old and some are a mess and they have to change. And if they don't change, they don't play anymore, mm-hmm. but some kids don't need it. Um, you know, and, and work is work. Like I, I don't think you get worse from work. Um, I, I actually had lessons this weekend um, with a very talented softball player, uh, Allie Shipman, who plays at Alabama. So she had a rough year. She had 350 this year, right? Like she needs some help. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. like a really great player, great kid. And we talked to her sisters, you know, like a legendary player was a three-time, two or three-time All-American and um, a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. And, and Allie was telling me today, it's like every day I had to hit balls after school. You know, every day I had to do something, I had to work out. And she's like, I'll never forget my sister uh, who is older says, do you, what do you do during the week? Like, do you, and she's like, yeah, I either lift or I work out or I hit every, every day during the week. And her sister's like, wow, I never had to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and her sister was a three-time <laughs> All-American. So yeah. you have to know who you are. Some, some players, I mean, we were talking about Eric Chavez earlier, right? Because he's you know, doing such a great job with the Mets hitters, but my favorite story, and I played with Eric since he was, uh, we were 13, I think, 13 until uh, he signed and I went to college. So 13 to 18. And we went to the Air Eco tournament. And before the Air Eco tournament, we were playing at a, our summer ball team, Connie Mack team. And he was terrible. The first time in five years that he's ever been terrible. I think he was like one for 15. We lose the tournament. Everybody's sad. We're like, okay, let's prepare for the area code games. Like, like that's really important. So we all go and work out. We hit every day. We throw every day. We like are making sure we're perfect because we're going to try to get ourselves a scholarship or get signed, right, at the tournament. So we're like, E, what do you, what do you do? He's like, I'm just going to chill out, man. I'm going to get away. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to not pick up a ball. So he doesn't pick up a ball for whatever it was, seven to ten days. We go into the area code tournament. We're on the same team because we're all from San Diego, the, the, the best players from that area code. First at bat, he hits a ball like 425 feet with wood. Nobody else hit a home run like the entire tournament. He knew what he needed to do. He knew that if he just went and beat balls, it wasn't going to get him better. But he knew if he just relaxed and got away from it, he would calm his mind down and his swing would be back. And sure enough, it was. So there was a guy that knew his stuff when he was uh, at a very young age. You know, he knew what was best for him. So some people need to work more. They feel better that way. And some people sometimes, you know, need time to rest and, and get away from it. Uh, one final thing before we wrap up today's show really quick. I'm just curious about this. I don't know how much um, uh, how much uh, depth of information you have towards this. But what, would you, what do you think Ted Williams would have done with today's technology? Oh, I think he would have geeked out. I yeah. think he would have been. That's a really great question, Jim. And, Thank and, you. Uh, I really wasn't going to compliment you because of all the Tampa Bay stuff today, but 
Um, I think he would have geeked out because I think he has a brain that handles that. He may have been the ultimate hitting coach uh -huh. that could blend major league Hall of Fame experience, mental aspects, what pitchers are trying to do or what kind of plan and technology. He could be, so uh, in my opinion, the perfect major league staff has like really three guys. One guy that compiles the data and metrics, one guy that can interpret that in a rational way um, and, and use video and that technology to help the players, however they want to be helped. And then a, 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 somebody with a lot of major league experience, you know, standing in the batter's box. He could do all of that, I think, with his, with his one, you know, hitting brain that he had because I, I honestly think he would have loved that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. He's such a, he had such a, uh, an analytical mind and you could just tell mm -hmm. when he was talking about um, the mental side of hitting. And then he created that book, the science of hitting. And he, mm -hmm. um, he had that, um, the, the spray charts, the chart, right. Incredible. And you and know, that was, head of his that time. was just him. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't have a database, a computer database of his hot and cold zones from, right. you know, a thousand at bats. That was just him. Well, I think when the ball's here, I'm, I'm like this, but it's here and here and, yeah. I'm sure it wasn't 100% accurate based on every single pitch that he saw like it would be today. Mm -hmm. Well, again, great stuff this week. Ted Williams, baseball's first hitting coach. Any questions, email us, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. Any questions about the swing, hitting, baseball, life, hockey? I'm better at hockey than, than F, but you can certainly pass along those those questions. Jimbo Podcast That's 21. That's prob probably true. Jimbo Podcast 21 at gmail.com. Um, next week we're talking about keeping it simple yes this week we talked a lot about um analytically uh inclined approaches with ted williams etc cetera, etc cetera. next week we're going to talk about keeping it simple which by the way eric chavez seemingly has done with his mets hitters that is next week i also want to promote uh my podcast with cassie riley bosia coming up in mid-july our first episode cross functionality our first episode that will be, I'm checking my phone in my calendar right now. It will be July uh, 13th, lucky 13th, cross-functionality. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Subscribe to that. That's coming up uh, very shortly. What do you got coming up at the lab there? Good, sir. We got catch a camp tomorrow, mm -hmm. today. So you're late. You didn't sign up in time. <laughs> now you're going to be a bad catcher. We have right. catching, hitting camp, and then more camps. Uh, next week, all our college players are in town, so they're all uh, or the ones that are playing locally. They're they're all working out every day, um, you know, with Matt and Kenny. So all that's uh, all that's going good. All that's going good. That's it. That's it. It's all just, I got, man. It's just going good. All, that, all that's going good. Yeah, man. Okay. Players players are players are getting better. That's 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 all we care about. Putting in the time, right. getting better, throwing, hitting, fielding all aspects of the game. That's it. After what was a great retrospect of Ted Williams today and his impact on baseball <laughs> for your business promo, I get everything great. I'm giving you one. Of course, final you can always sign up for, for the Epstein online Academy. There you go. The greatest thing ever in the world. If you want to be a better hitter, that's right. doesn't matter where you live. You could be in Alaska. You could be in Bangladesh. You Bangladesh. could be, right down the street in Colorado. Send yeah. me your videos. I'll give you a plan. I'll break it down. You'll get better. Maybe one day you'll be on TV. Then I'll get to take a picture with you and you'll be the celebrity. Okay. 
And with that, we end episode 102. Have a great week. Episode 103, keeping it simple. Next week, talk to you then. Take care.